everybody doing? We want to welcome everybody online. We want to welcome everybody watching in DeLand. We're so glad that you're there. We're going to continue this series out on a limb with what I think is one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible. It's the last three verses in 1 Kings chapter 19. So get your Bibles out, iPhones, scrolls, whatever you brought with you, and take a look at this passage. It's one that you probably would zip over, but it is so, so important and maybe the most powerful passage in the Bible on commitment. And it's something that our culture is desperately lacking today. And what I've entitled the message is simply, I'm in. There comes a point as a Christian where you either have to say, I'm in or I'm out. And we live in a time when everybody wants to keep the back door open. In fact, I read a, a, an entire article based on these three verses speaking directly to the millennial generation and Generation Z. That the hardest thing for th those two generations because of how you're raised and how culture is, is to actually make a commitment without keeping a back door open. That's why marriage is difficult. Do I want to make this commitment? That's why where am I going to go to school? Or am I going to get married? Or am I, am I going to take this job? Or am I going to make this kind of this commitment where I actually say, yes, I'll be there every week. It's so difficult. I don't think it's just that those two generations, but maybe what they've done is personified what the rest of us have done with commitment in our culture. And we want to keep that back door open just in case God doesn't work out. What if there's no God? And listen, they worked this out centuries ago. If there's no God, if everything we believe to be true, which we spend our time defending the Bible every week and the history of it and the archaeology of it, even if it's all false and it's all over, we end up in the dirt. We haven't lost a thing. But if the book is true and Jesus is right and you're not there, then you've lost everything and hell is a very real place. And so... Do I think the Bible's real? Absolutely. Every, every bit of it. We know exactly where this story takes place. It takes place in central Israel. It is where, it's, it's today what's called the West Bank. This is all Palestinian-controlled land where Elisha was at. It's right square in the middle of Israel. If you look at a map, it's not a very big uh, area anyway, but right square in the middle of Israel is where this guy named Elisha lives. And we left Elijah last week in a cave, and Elijah was told by God after the depression and got through all of that story, then Elijah says, or God says to Elijah, now you're going to go anoint two guys to be king, and you're going to go anoint Elisha to be your successor. And so this is the story. And he goes from where he is in western Saudi Arabia, he makes a trek back over to central Israel, and he does this. If you'll stand out of respect for God's Word. Just three, three verses. But again, powerful about commitment. So Elijah went from there, from where? From the cave, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I'll come with you. Elijah, all right, really sympathetic. Go back. What have I done to you? I'll explain that to you. 
So Elisha led him, left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they all ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. Wow, you can be seated. Okay, there's so much going on here. So first of all, he doesn't end up being the prophet. He is the servant. He's going to go and be a learner. Now there's a very similar picture to this in Jesus' ministry. Do you remember when Jesus called the disciples what he said to them? He said, follow me. But before that, he said, leave your nets. Remember, they were all fishermen. Leave, well, Matthew was a tax collector, but most of them were fishermen. Leave your nets. Then he said, follow me. So after the resurrection, and they've all run away after the crucifixion, where'd they all go? Come on. They all went fishing. Where does Jesus go find them again? On the Sea of Galilee. Guys, come follow me. But the nets were still there. The boats were still there. Elisha knows if he's going to make a commitment to God, it's got to be a commitment. You know what? Maybe it's for God's sake. Maybe it's for Elijah's sake. Or maybe it's for Elisha himself. Maybe he doesn't trust himself. And so he's like, the only way that I'm going to make this commitment to God is if I don't lead myself any way back. Now, the the easy illustration here is so simple. When Cortez came to America from Spain and and conquered the Aztec kingdom, he landed in Veracruz. And the first thing he did was what? He burned all the ships. So his men... And you can either go forward and help me find gold and conquer this land, or you can stay here and die. All right? But Elisha does it himself. He makes the choice. Elijah did not say, kill the ox. Elijah did not say, burn up all the farming equipment. He threw his mantle, a cloak, threw his cloak around him and said, come on. It's Elisha that goes back and has the barbecue. Now, what this story ought to show you, first of all, is how wealthy Elisha was. Because to have 12 oxen, Cord and I were talking backstage, that if this was me and him, it would be one donkey and it would have three legs. Okay? But this guy's got 12 oxen. That means he's very wealthy. And he's got a lot of land. He's running the 12th one. What does that tell you? Tells me that Elisha's willing to be out working. Even though he's got a huge farm, he's got all these people working for him, Elisha's still out in the field working. You see in some of the things God's looking for here in a servant? He's looking for a guy who's got some resources, but a guy who's got the ability and still willing to serve. And Elisha goes and takes all of that. All of, he, he's secure. He's safe. He's wealthy. He can love God right where he is. But God's got something much, much bigger. And I wonder if He doesn't have that for us, but we're so comfortable that we miss out on some grand adventure. As you go through, and we'll get to this later this summer, as we go through Elisha's story, nobody performs more miracles in the Scripture other than Jesus, Elisha. What if he stays on the farm? 
He doesn't experience any of it. Somebody else is in that slot, but it's not him. It's only because he made a decision. I don't know what that looks like for you. What do you need to leave behind? Is it a, you got too much money? You got too much time? You got too much talent? Are you not willing to serve? I don't know what your barbecue looks like, but Elisha knew for him to truly follow God and not compromise, he had to have this barbecue. So he takes everything he's worked his whole life for and sets it on fire, cooks all the meat. What a party that must have been, huh? How much meat do you get off 12 oxen? That's a good day, all right? That is a serious good day if you've got Kansas City barbecue sauce to go with that. That is, that is just an incredible day. But he gave up everything to see what God had planned for him. Now, here's the problem. What we mostly do is we sit around and we think about our past and we regret. And we spend a lot of time trying to make money and live in the present and people spend almost no time thinking about the future. Elisha flips that whole story on its head. He says, I'm going to think about my future first. Then I'm going to take some present action. I'm going to tell mom and dad goodbye. I'm going to barbecue the, the meat and we're out of here. Then he puts the past behind him and says, that's gone. Now I've got only one way to go, and that's to follow God. I wonder, I wonder sometimes if we haven't got so much. I was talking to a, a gentleman who told me his life was changed by a woman in Mexico City. He said, 40 years ago, I was on a mission trip. I was a little kid, teenager, I suppose. And he said... I'm in this hovel of a house. He said it wasn't a house. It was a hut. It was, it was horrendous. And he said, I asked this lady in my broken Spanish, how can you love God when you have so little? And he said, this old Spanish lady looked at him and said, how can you not love God when you have so much? And he said, that statement did more to change my life than any sermon I'd ever heard. But see, if you're think if that's all you can think about is your land and your oxen and your 401k and this and that because everybody's got something. But Elisha said, "No, I've got to think about the future and the future is what God has given me the opportunity to do." Maybe instead of saying, "Well, what can I do to say that I was a part of this?" say, "God, what do you want me to do?" Because I don't think I don't know that God even expected this from Elisha. But Elisha knew himself well enough to know that if he was going to fully trust God, he had to have this barbecue. There's a, I love stories out of Florida. And you can almost, this is terrible, but you can almost tell what counties the stories are coming out of when you, when you see these stories. Uh, but, but here's one that caught my attention this week. Uh, this guy was trying to elude the police. And so he jumped into the river and went underwater. So the police stood on the bank <laughs> and waited for him to come up. Here's what I thought. I thought, how many times have we done this with God? But sooner or later, you got to come up. Sooner or later, you got to come up for air. Police knew that. They just had to wait him out. It's not like he was going anywhere. They just had to wait for him to come up for air. But I'm amazed at how often that we as followers of Jesus, 
we, we, we hide. Instead of saying, yeah, I'm in. I'll be a part of that. I'll give to that. Let me help with this. We're like, hmm, let's see how long I can stay underwater. But sooner or later, you've got to make a decision that I'm going to come up and I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And I may have to have a barbecue before we can go forward because there are things in my life right now that are going to hinder me from trusting God. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, there's all kinds of interpretations about that. and You can take whichever one you want, but try to get a camel through the eye of a needle of any kind. Just... Try the process. The, the picture there is very simple. And Elisha knew his own heart. That's the deal. God did not say he had to do this. Elijah didn't tell him he had to do this. But Elisha knew in himself, if the oxen don't go, I'll never be the man that God wants me to be. I don't know what that looks like for you. But he started with the future in mind. Not worried Ben. Not what he had in the present, but what he wanted to be and what he wanted to do. Matthew McConaughey, this, he's one of my favorite actors. I don't know anything about him, but he's just a great actor. And they asked him, they said, who is your hero in life? And he gave a great answer. He said, me in 10 years. And I thought, man, that's good. He's trying to become what he wants to be. He's trying to become the hero. And I don't know what that means for him, but shouldn't that be a goal that we all have? That what I want to be, maybe you've got some person, some benchmark you're shooting for, but that's who I want to be for us. Shouldn't that be Jesus? Jesus said, leave the nets, boys. Follow me. Elisha says, i, I got to go back and tell mom and dad goodbye. Elisha said, look, do what you got to do. That's what the phrase means. He says, do what you got to do. When you're ready, let's do this. So he goes back. And again, he's got this big event that he's got to go through. But this is all a part of saying goodbye to what's behind him and trusting God for the future. If you've not accepted Jesus, my guess is, though, a lot of people who are Christians have got a whole barn full of oxen. And that's the problem we got so many oxen that we don't know what to do. What do I do next? You don't know which ones to keep and which ones to sell. And Elisha said, you know what? We'll just have the grandest party of all time and there will be no doubt that I am sold out for God. And when you see what God does with his life, you realize he would have missed the greatest life ever planned for someone if he hadn't have made this decision. Because he knows there's going to be tough times. To follow Jesus means there's going to be tough times ahead. There's going to be commitments. There's going to be expectations. I'm expected to serve and give and forgive and love and all these things that I'm supposed to do. And if, if I keep any oxen back, I'm probably going to have a hard time with that. Philippians 1.6, Paul said, I'm confident of this one thing, that God will finish what he started in you. But he can only finish it if you and I get the oxen where they need to go. So start with the future in mind. Where does, what does God want me to do? Do I need to make a decision to accept Jesus? Do I need to be baptized? Should I be serving? Should I be a mentor? Should I be giving more? Should I be tithing? Should I sell off a whole bunch of cows? What in the world? But the future is what I'm going to invest in. 
Because if all you think about is the present or the past, you're not going anywhere. Would you agree with that? So he thought about the future first. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Isn't that what just happened here with Elisha? He sacrificed... In this particular case, it's not a direct sacrifice to God. God, I'm giving these cows to you, but I'm giving myself to you by barbecuing the cows. All right? There's the story. But when when people look at Romans 12, they always talk about all these other things, but it says, Paul said, offer your body... As a sacrifice to offer. Do you see that word? That means God's not going to take it from you. Church is not going to take it from you. I I wouldn't if I could. You have to offer yourself. Jesus offered himself on a cross, did he not? Come on. Did he not? It was a free will gesture. Jesus For the love that he had for us endured the cross. That's Hebrews chapter 12. For the love he had for us, he endured the cross. He offered himself as a ransom for us. And Paul said, if you want to be like Jesus, then offer yourself as a sacrifice. That's the present. Right? So the future, I've accepted Jesus, I've made that decision, I'm going to follow Him, I'm going to drop the nets, I'm, I'm, I'm going to close the back door, lock the back door, burn down the back door, whatever I have to do, we're not going backwards. I'm all in. Either Jesus raised from the dead or He didn't. If He did, then let's go. And Elisha said, okay, I'm going to burn up the back door now. Here we go. What did he have to do next? He caught up with Elijah. Jesus said, follow me. Let's go. Romans chapter 15, verse 3. We got that one? I'm sorry, Matthew. Romans 15. It's coming. Watch this. I can feel it. Did I make it up? There it is. For even Jesus did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Jesus did not try to please himself. He offered himself as a sacrifice. And Paul said, you and I need to make that same offer. That's in the present context. You know, we talk about the shoeboxes, and I'll tell you more about my trip to Peru and working with Franklin Graham's people. Absolutely incredible. But here's the greatest story I heard on that trip. All right, we did 1,600 shoeboxes this year, and that is very commendable. You should, you should be happy for God, happy for yourself. Uh, it's awesome. That's awesome. Um, 100,000 children accepted Jesus just in Peru, all right, to let you know the impact of those shoeboxes. But there is a church of 80 people in Texas that did 25,000 shoeboxes last year. Now, that's the only thing they do. That's their mission. That's okay. That's their mission. 25, 283 boxes per person in the church. And they said... They said a long time ago, we stopped asking, God, what do you want 
from us. And we said, no, what is it you really want? Not what can I do, but God, what is it that we can do to just blow this out of the water? And they said, we didn't set a goal. We didn't have a plan to do this. We just started praying, God, what do you want instead of what can we do? That's what Elisha said. God, what do you want? And Elijah said, follow me. And he's about to experience some of the greatest miracles, be a part of some of the greatest miracles. He's going to do some of the greatest miracles. All because he left the, he dealt with the future. He, in the present, took action. That's the commitment part. He took action. That means at some point, you've got to say, I accept Jesus. I do believe. I do want to be baptized. I do want to serve. I do want to give. How long do you hear the same story before you say yes? Or even if you've already said yes, how do you sit there and not say, I want to be a part of this incredible story that God has unfolding for me? Then, and only then, does He deal with the past. And that is what He had. And He turns His back on the past. He doesn't let the past bother him, good, bad, indifferent. I had a lot. I had difficulties. I had problems with workers. I had problems with, with paying the taxes for my workers. Whatever he had in the past, he left all of that. The disciples dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. They didn't know where they were going. When God said to Moses, I'm going to take you to the promised land, Moses didn't know where he was going. When God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, get up in the morning and follow me. Abraham had no idea where God was taking him. And I have no idea where Jesus is taking you or me. I don't know what great plans he has for you. But here's what I know. He has some incredible plans for you. If you'll put the future first, deal with it in the present and make a commitment, and then put the past behind you. But if you spend all of your time in the past, if all you do is think about, well, I've messed up here and I messed up there. Listen, if, the one, if there's one message I've tried to convey in this church is we are all mess-ups. All of us. And I, and I know, I know this because people say to me, I, I came there and I thought everybody at that place had it together that I was the only one that was messed up. And then I got to know a few of the people and I realized they're as messed up as me. And I'm like, well, you know, welcome to the family. Because we're all here because we needed a Savior. Am I right? If you're watching online, you're watching in the land. We're here because we need a Savior. Not because we're good. Not because we figured it all out. Because we put the future first. That's why we're here. We're here to say, you know what? If I deal with the future, that makes the present a whole lot easier to deal with. And I don't have to deal with the past at all because it's been forgiven and forgotten. Aren't you glad? I love the passage. I love the scripture that said God has thrown our sin into the deepest sea. And he's cast it as far as the east is from the west. And if you're any good with geography, you'll know the east and the west never meet. You can only go north for so long and then you start to go south. But if you go east, I mean, again, only God could... I don't know why it works that way. I don't know anything about a globe, but you go east, you'll always be going east. 
But if you go north, you'll eventually go south. But in Psalm, in Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, he said he takes our sin and throws it as far as the east is from the west. It can never catch up with us again. That's putting the past behind you. Aren't you glad? And Elisha realizes the power in what is playing out here. What else you got back there, Matthew? Give me a couple of, give me a picture or two. Let's tell another, let's tell a couple of stories. Oh, I don't know how you travel, but when I travel, I like to travel light. I don't care if I'm going around the world or across the street, I try to travel light. But there's always somebody on the plane that's got a bag like this, and they're trying to jam it into that overhead container. All right, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, that's a whole lot of us, and that's either your, your past you're carrying around, or maybe you've got 12 oxen that you're carrying around because you're not sure what if God's not faithful tomorrow will I have anything to eat will I be able to pay my bills will I have any retirement will I have this will this work out and the truth is Jesus told his disciples don't even take an extra set of clothes I got you whatever happened to that kind of thinking and again I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to have clothes or or to take things with you but so often we're carrying so much junk around it's almost impossible to follow God because we're dragging all this luggage around with us whether it's present luggage or past luggage or luggage we think we're going to need in the future we don't want to be caught without our luggage what else you got Matthew what a brilliant that's a great illustration uh, in and out this is this is funny. All right, In-N-Out Burger. Anybody ever been to In-N-Out? One of the great hamburger joints. It's on the West Coast. All right, they do have good hamburgers. Big story. All right, I didn't make this up. Look it up for yourself. Look it up online. They fa- this is, picture is from Jamaica Queens in New York City. Big news story about three months ago, and here was the story: In-N-Out Burger found on the streets of Queens. People cannot figure out how it got there. Now, first of all, this is news. I'm pondering that thought. Okay, this is news. So I printed that story out and I wrote a note on it. And this is what I wrote. Somebody put it there. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that we look at the world... Creation, stars, animals, ourselves. And people ask, how did this get here? And nobody can figure it out. And the answer is God put us here. It's that simple. And once you realize that I am a divine part of creation, that Jesus died for me, and He wants me to deal with the future. He's, he's paid the price for the future. He already offered his body. I can commit in the present and I don't have to worry about the past. Doesn't that take all the pressure off all of us? But you can spend the rest of your life asking how that burger got there, but I'll promise you somebody put it there. And it's amazing how we can't even figure that out on a micro level. No wonder people can't figure it out on the macro level. Here's a picture of a Chinese man. It's not a very good picture, but I want you to see this because uh, if we're lucky, we'll uh, get close enough to this guy when we get to heaven. This, this man went to North Korea and shared the gospel. He's a Chinese man. He shared the gospel with a thousand North Koreans 
helped a thousand North Koreans accept Jesus Christ before the North Korean government caught up with him and executed him. Gave his life because he had the future taken care of, dealt with his own commitment in the present, left the past behind him. We get to heaven, we'll get to hear this guy's story. That's what commitment looks like. Elisha shows us, this Chinese pastor shows it, now it's our turn. So I don't know what you need. Maybe you need prayer about all this, you come right over here. Maybe you're like, okay, it's time. I have got to say yes to Jesus. I've got to make a commitment. I've got to accept Jesus. I need to be baptized. I, I want all that. You come right over here. If you're a first-time guest, on your way out, there's a, there's a big desk out there in the middle, guest services. We've got, we got gifts for you to choose from, two or three different kinds of gifts. Uh, stop by, get information about the church. But what I love about this story is nobody made Elisha do anything. I think so often people think the church is always pressuring me. No. God didn't ask. Elijah didn't ask. Elisha knew himself what he had to do to say to God, I'm all in. Father, I pray that we would grab a hold of this story. I don't know what oxen need to be slaughtered. Don't know what barbecues need to happen. Maybe it's junk. Maybe it's uh, stuff that needs to be burned up, literally, thrown away, deleted. Maybe it's things that need to be invested for God's sake instead of our own. But I would guess most everyone in here has probably got more oxen than Elisha had. And the question is, what shall we do? What shall we do with those cows? God, give us the courage to have the barbecue of a lifetime. In Jesus' name, God's people said,